we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles and go, if you would please, this morning to the book of 2 Samuel. We come back to 2 Samuel, chapter number 7. And an amazing thing has happened in 2 Samuel, chapter number 7. David, in his desire to honor the Lord, uh, said to Nathan, I, I want to build a house for the Lord. And uh, if you remember, David imme- or Nathan rather immediately responded by saying, uh, do all that is in thine heart, the Lord is with thee. And of course, we know that the word of the Lord came to Nathan later, and God said to Nathan, I have other plans. <laughs> I, I don't want David to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for him. And Nathan delivered that news to David, and we come now to 2 Samuel chapter number 7, and we find David's response to the Lord, to the news that God intended to build a house for David. The house wasn't a physical house. The house was his family, a lineage, a heritage, a dynasty that through the seed of David, a king would arise, a king who would reign over the people of God for all eternity. That king, of course, has come and made the payment for our sin and suffered our death. And as we just heard sung, he rose from the dead victorious over death and hell and the grave. David was overwhelmed with this news that God had set his favor upon him. And so we come back to 2 Samuel chapter number 7, and we begin reading in verse 17. The Bible says, According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like, the, is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for uh, you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt and from the nations and their gods." For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. Thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. 
and let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee an house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. And thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together around your word and we pray as, as we have come to your word that the Holy Spirit would empower us and enable us to understand it, to receive it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me with yourself. Remove all the distractions from my heart and mind and from the hearts of your people. Help me that I might communicate your truth and the power of your spirit and help us to receive it, to hear it as David heard it, and to respond in gratitude and praise as David responded. Because, Lord, we know that in this promise that you've made to him, we also share in that promise, and we praise you for all that you are doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever seen a portrait of someone, maybe someone that you knew or someone that was familiar to you, and you saw the portrait and you said to yourself, that really doesn't look like the person I know. Sometimes the artist gets it wrong, doesn't he? Maybe, you know, the nose isn't right or the hair isn't right. You know, I said to one of the photographers of the wedding is Brother Digden's daughter. I said, now, if you're taking pictures, there's some things you need to know. You need to make me look thick up here and thin here. Yeah. Give me a suntan, you know, and uh, all those things that are impossible to ask for. And uh, I'm sure if she was able to do that, which she probably is, who knows? I don't want to see the renderings, by the way. Um. People would look at that picture and say, well, that's not how he looks at all. He doesn't look anything like that. And oftentimes we get a, a, a picture in our mind of what God looks like. And the problem with that picture is the perception of the person who fashions it in their mind. And then we have artists who distort the picture of God for us. Uh, there are those who paint him as some aloof old man uh, who's in the heavens, sort of detached, maybe wringing his fists and hands and wondering how he's going to deal with the next crisis. There are those who portray him as an angry, vengeful God sitting in the heavens waiting to hit somebody over the head. Some portray him as a, a tolerant God who accepts anyone and any behavior. They overemphasize his mercy and grace and neglect to show his judgment. 
And as we've noted, there are those who do the opposite. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your view of God? Who is he to you? Who is he to you? And the most important question is, who is he according to the revelation of the Bible? Because there are many who would say this. They would make a statement very similar to the one I'm about to make. They would say, I believe in a God who is, and then they would go on to describe him. The problem with that is that they have imposed their views upon who God is. If we truly want to know who God is and what he looks like, we go into the pages of the word of God, and there we find the picture of our God. Now, David is at home, and Nathan has come to tell him, David, you want to build the Lord a house, and that's a, that's a wonderful desire, but God said you're not going to build it, and here's what God wants you to know. He's going to build you a house. He's going to build your family, and through your seed, there will be a king who sits on the throne of Israel forever. And David got a view of God that day. The Bible says, look at it if you would please in verse number 17. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. The words of God painted a picture, if you would, of who God is. And confronted with that image, David is overwhelmed. And David responds in a prayer of gratitude to his God. We note that in, in, in uh, earlier in verses 5 and also again in verse 8 that the Lord, as he was speaking to David and to Nathan uh, or through Nathan to David, says this in verse 5, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Now we look at verse 8. Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. God wants to put things in perspective here for David. And he refers to David as his servant. And when David hears this, he's overwhelmed by this expression. If you study the Bible, you're going to find that God only used that expression to describe an individual just a handful of times in the Old Testament. We've taken for our theme in this study, the life of David, the phrase we find in the book of Acts, that David served his generation according to the will of God. And the Lord is saying here, I want you to understand something. David is my servant. And when David hears that phrase, he's overwhelmed. In fact, 10 times in these verses that we've read just a moment ago, we're going to read them again as we review them. But we're going to find that 10 times David refers to himself now as thy servant. You see, David was honored 
to be a servant of the Lord. It was a blessing. It was a joy. It was a privilege for the king to be referred to as the servant of the Lord. You see, David was aware that the Lord was the true king and that he was blessed to be called his servant. So David utters this prayer in response to the word of the Lord that was spoken to him. This prayer then grows out of his amazement at all that God is going or has previously now promised him that he would do for him and for his house. John Woodhouse in his commentary says this, as we listen, we will learn that we can only pray a prayer like this if the word of the Lord has had the same impact on us. You know why our prayer life is so dry and so dull? It's because we often spend very little time listening to the word of the Lord. It is because we spend very little time walking down the corridors, seeing the portraits and the majesty and the beauty and the glory of our God. And so our prayer life becomes anemic and just full of our needs and our wants and our requests. But David is going to teach us a lesson on prayer as he gets a view of God, as he sees the beauty and glory of God. David responds to God with this wonderful prayer. It is the prayer of God's servant. And I think we'll learn three lessons here. Three lessons about prayer. First of all, number one, David delighted in the grace of God. He delighted in the grace of God. And then secondly, we're going to note that David described the greatness of God. And then finally, that David desired the glory of God. Well, we note first of all that David delighted in the grace of God. Uh, we go back to verse number 18 and we think about this word grace. We don't find this word in these verses, but we find it characterized, demonstrated in these verses. And we think about what is grace? Well, what grace is, is unmerited favor. It's favor that God has bestowed upon us, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of who he is. We have done nothing to deserve his grace, and David did nothing to deserve his grace. It wasn't because David went into the valley and slew the giant that God set his heart on David. No. No, no. God had already done that. You see, the Bible teaches us that it is by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. A gift comes out of the heart of one who has set his affection upon the recipient. A gift is an act of benevolence. It is not an act of payment or compensation. It is a gift of benevolence, an act of love to extend and show love in a visible, tangible way to those he has set his affections on. And so the Bible teaches us that we are saved. We're delivered from sin and death by God's grace through faith. 
and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, we are recipients. If you know the Lord is your Savior, you are the recipient of God's grace. Now, David has been told that the Lord is going to build him a house and that his son would rule and reign on the throne forever. And David delights in this grace. Now, he expresses his delight in two ways. First of all, David was astonished by the grace of God. He was astonished by it. Look in verse 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto. David arose from his house. He went down into the tent where the ark of God was, and he sat before the ark. I don't know how close he could approach, but we know he is there in the tabernacle that he has crafted. He is inside that tabernacle. He is sitting before the Lord. We're going to imagine as we go through this prayer that he is not alone, that there are others who are there with him. He sits before the Lord, and he asks this question, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Have you ever asked yourself that question, Who am I? Of the countless souls in this world today, who are you? Who are you that God has set his affection on you, that God has set his love on you? Have you heard the message of the gospel? Have you been saved? Have your sins been forgiven? Do you have a home in heaven? Do you have the word of God? Do you have the light of God's truth to guide you? Do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you? Do you have the hope of heaven? Do you have an inheritance in the heavens, incorruptible and fadeth not away? Have you ever thought to yourself when you look at the countless souls in this world who are lost in the darkness of sin, have you ever asked yourself this question, who am I? I want to tell you who you are. You are a recipient of the grace of God. Amen. And when David considered that God had done this wonderful thing for him, David sat dumbfounded, amazed, astonished in the presence of the Lord. And he didn't say, you need to know who I am. Oh, no, no. He said, who am I? You see, Woodhouse writes, true praise can only come from a person who is humbled by what the Lord has done. Are you humbled by what the Lord has done? David will later say, oh, Lord, you know me. And by the way, God knows all of us. And by the way, God knows what David's going to do in just a few chapters. Nothing surprises him. But in spite of that, he still loves us. And David is amazed by the grace of God. He, he can't get over it. He, he doesn't, as Al Smith wrote in that song, he doesn't lose the wonder of it all. And so he says here in these verses, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. 
And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Is this the way, God, that you deal with humanity? Matthew Henry said in his commentary, he says, can man expect to be so dealt with by his maker? In other words, can we expect this grace that God has bestowed upon us? He says, is this the law of Adam? Then he says, considering the character and condition of men, it is very surprising and amazing that God should deal with him as he does. Man, as he writes, is a mean creature. Well, that's been proved out this week, hasn't it? And therefore, under a law of distance, unprofitable to God, and therefore under a law of disesteem and disregard, guilty and obnoxious, and therefore under a law of death and damnation. And the Bible teaches us that we were all aliens and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, without God, without hope. Sinners condemned to an eternity in hell of no value, of no profit to God. Yet in spite of all of that, God set his affection on us. God opened the bounties of his grace and his riches to us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see that David expressed his delight in his astonishment at the grace of God. David expressed his delight as he acknowledged the grace of God. Look at verse 20. And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. Lord, you know me in and out. You know my motives. You know my temptations. You know my thoughts. uh, You know my ponderings. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. You know me, and now you've made known some things to me about you. And I'm beginning to see you as you have revealed yourself. And as I look at you, Lord, and I look at me and who I am, I can do nothing but be amazed and astonished by the grace of God. Are you astonished this morning by the grace of God? May God help us. Secondly, we see that in this prayer of response to the Lord, the prayer of God's servant, that David described the greatness of God. He delighted in the grace of God, and then he described the greatness of God. Look, if you would, please, in verse 22. Wherefore, thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. David said, not only are you full of grace, but God, you are great. We serve a great God, do we not? A God unlike any other, the only true and living God. He said, There is no, or there, neither is there any God beside thee. You see, there's none like him. None like him. Nobody like Jesus, is there? He is the promised seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. 
the son of Abraham that we read about in Genesis 12, the sacrifice provided in Isaac's stead. He's the lion of Judah. He's the captain of the Lord's host. He's the son of David. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the lawgiver and the law keeper. He's the fulfillment of the prophets. He's the son born of a virgin. The angels heralded the news of his birth. His stars shined in the east and the wise men came to seek him. Simeon and Anna took him up in, in their arms and rejoiced to see him in the temple. At the age of 12, he confounded the teachers and the scribes. He did always those things that pleased his father. He overcame the tempter. He turned the water into wine. He healed the sick. He cast out the devils. He restored sight to the blind. He caused the deaf to hear, and he made the lame to walk. And then they said, never a man spake like this man. You see, he taught them as one having authority. And they wondered at his gracious words. He forgave condemned sinners, and he silenced the religious skeptics. He stilled the winds and the waves. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He gave water to those who were athirst. He gave rest unto the weary. He laid down his life for his sheep. He suffered our death. He bore the burden of our sin and shame. He died in our stead. The centurion said truly, this was the son of early. On the first day of the week, he arose and became the first fruits of them that slept. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He commissioned his disciples. He ascended into the heavens with the promise that he would return. He empowered his church at Pentecost. And as a faithful high priest, he ever liveth to make intercession for his saints. He's preparing now a place for us. And my friend, I want to tell you, he is coming again. There is none like him. <coughs> Do you see him? Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him. Friends, he will reign forever. And with David this morning, you and I can describe the greatness of God. God's greatness is seen in the rank of his person. There's none like him. But then we see that God's greatness is seen in the redemption of his people. The redemption of his people. Look, if you would, in verse 23. He says, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. Lord, we see your greatness. We see the greatness of the rank of your person, but we see your greatness in the redemption of your people. Who was Israel? A group of strangers in Aliens that were roaming through the land of Canaan. A group of people that were taken in as slaves in Egypt. And for 400 years, they served the Pharaoh. Their lives were made bitter. They, they were serving with rigor and hard bondage. But then they cried out unto the Lord. This group of ragtag slaves. 
and God heard their cry. And what did he do? He sent a deliverer. And that deliverer, through that deliverer, he showed his power and might to the Egyptians. The blood of the Passover lamb was spread upon the doorposts and the lintel. And those who were sentenced to die, as long as the blood was applied, their lives were spared. The Egyptians, however, were crushed. The Pharaoh was judged. And the Egyptians released the slaves, the people of Israel. And as they were departing, what did they do? They filled their bags with silver and gold. The Lord humbled Egypt and delivered Israel with his strong and powerful arm. By the way, the Lord is going to humble and is humbling the kings of this earth. And he's filling the coffers of his saints with gold. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, as you think about this redeemed people, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 7, For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments so righteous, as all this law which I set before you this day? You see... Moses wanted to remind them that they were a great people, and what made them great was the fact that they had a great God, a God who redeemed them, a God who set his affection on them, a God who gave them his law, and as they lived according to the law of God, as they honored God, as they followed him in their wanderings through the wilderness, and as they trusted him and put their faith in him to win the battles in Canaan, As they did so, all the other nations would look on with amazement and say, there is no nation so great as this one. No nation so great. You see, God wants to make himself known through his people. This is the greatness of our God, that he would rescue a sin-sick sinner bound in the chains of despair, serving a harder taskmaster than any in Egypt, one that more sinister than the Pharaoh ever imagined to be serving the devil. And the Lord sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to overcome the tempter and to crush his head and to raise victorious and to give us eternal life and to rescue us from our sin and our hopelessness and our despair and to give us eternal life. And just as Moses wrote to the children of Israel, speaking of the greatness of the people of God because of their relationship to God, so Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says this, but ye, that is those of you who know Christ, ye, the church, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, the greatness of God is seen through the redemption of his people, what he's done in our lives, his mercy and his grace. And it's on display for the world to see. And so we have David's prayer. We find that David delighted in the grace of God. We see that David described the greatness of God, and then finally we see that David desired the glory of God. Now, David is the king, 
and he's been struggling, right? <coughs> struggling, running from Saul. Now finally Saul is dead. The kingdom would be unified, but oh no, there's still division. Now the kingdom is finally seemingly coming together, but then there are enemies to face, but God has given victory. And David is sitting at home, and he's living in this beautiful, opulent home that was built for him. And then he begins to think about the tabernacle and the, the, the ark of God and where the ark of God is dwelling. And he, he says, I, I want to build a house for the Lord. I, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And if God says to him, David, I've never asked anybody to build me a temple, but I'm going to tell you I'm going to build you a house. Now, you know, we all would like to hear those words from the Lord, wouldn't we? I mean, can't you see it now? Maybe on some land, maybe out in the country. Wouldn't you like to have it? You envision it in your mind, right? You know how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, how many acres. You can see it. Your, your basement, what you're going to have in it. How many stalls in the garage. You see? But that, that's not the house that, that, that God is speaking of here. And this is not the house that David is concerned about. And that's important for us to know. Because we live in a world that so ensnares us with materialism. We get so concerned about fuel prices and inflation. And, I, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about those things. But here's what I'm saying to you. Our chief concern, as we learned in Matthew 6 and verse 33, is that we ought to seek first the glory of God, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. You say, well, here's, here's two young people, and they, they go to a Christian college, and they prepare for ministry. Well, they're not going to make a lot of money doing that. Can't you hear those comments? How are they going to make it? <laughs> Boy, what a question. How are they going to make it? <laughs> well, they've got a rich father <laughs> who's promised to supply all their need according to his riches and glory. You see, as David gets a view of God, he's amazed by the grace of God. He is humbled by the greatness of God, and he seeks and desires nothing more or nothing else than the glory of God. With his life, he's not seeking great things for himself to expand his kingdom. Oh, no, what David desires more than anything is to see the name of God exalted and the glory of God exclaimed throughout all the earth. That's what it means to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And by the way, all these things shall be added unto you. All the things that concern us, all the things that we worry about, all the things that we think we have to have, God knows what we need, and he will give us what we need. He has promised to do that. So let's look at it, verse 25. 
David desired the glory of God, not the glory of David. What was Saul desiring? The glory of Saul. Trying to hold on to his kingdom any way he could. Here's what David says. Look at verse 25. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. What did David desire? He desired that the word of the Lord would be established. He put his faith and trust in God's word. What are you trusting to? The Wall Street Journal? The next election? Getting that job that you want at that other company that you think will solve all of your problems? No. What we should rest in and trust in are the promises of God. David desired that the word of the Lord be established. Notice this, David desired that the name of the Lord be magnified. Look in verse 26. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. What does he want? He doesn't want his name promoted. He wants God's name promoted. Remember what he said when he went into the tent? When he went in and sat before the Lord, he didn't say, you need to know who I am. There's a lot of people who want people to know who they are. You know, there are a lot of preachers who want people to know who they are. Don't you know who I am? I really don't. I really don't. But we need to know who Jesus is, don't we? And that's all that matters, is that we would make Jesus known, not that we would make ourselves known. I think that's some good advice for young men who want to serve God. It's not about you getting your name out there. People used to tell me when I was a young preacher, and man, I was young and inexperienced, and I didn't have a clue. Not a clue, Brother Randy, not a clue. And people would say to me, you know, you need to get your name out there. And I I always rejected that, thankfully. Because here's what I believed. The God who called me when he was ready to use me, he would put me where he wanted me to be. I didn't have to get my name out there. I'm not on a campaign. I'm just here to serve the Lord. And see, David says, Lord, I want your name to be magnified. What is it that you desire in your life, young person? You're finishing school, getting ready, getting ready to finish school, you know, hoping to get married soon. What is it that you want with your life? What is it that you want? Is it material goods and wealth? Is it a house on the, on the farm that you can have and possessions that you can hold to? Or do you desire the glory of God? I want to tell you, if you desire the glory of God, God will do more for you than you could ever have done for yourself. David desired that the word of the Lord be established. He desired that the name of the Lord be magnified, and he desired that his house be blessed. Look at verse 27. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee an house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. (laughs) Do you ever tell yourself that? Do you ever say that to him? Lord, I I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill this month. Lord, I I don't know how I'm going to navigate this this family crisis. 
Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do about this situation at work, but God, here's what I know. You're God and your words are true. This will help you. Put it into practice. Speak to the Lord this way. Verse 28, now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised. Oh, listen, underline it and circle it in your Bible. Thou hast promised, God, I'm taking you by your word. I'm holding on to the promise of your goodness unto your servant. Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee, for thou, O Lord God, hast spoken, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. My dad was raised in East Tennessee by a man who was not his biological father. He was an alcoholic. People on the road where my dad lived in the little valley, not far from where Dr. Settle grew up, would call him a bastard. At the same time, There was a little girl living down the road whose father struggled for years with alcoholism. Couldn't hold his job down. Was off and laid off and sent away. By the marvelous grace of God, Put those two together. It's my mom and my dad. My grandmother, my mother's mother, knew the Lord and was a faithful Christian. My mom knew the Lord, but my dad did not know the Lord. And they married. They moved to Detroit. My dad worked in an auto plant. One day, two men from the Gilead Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan, knocked on his door. He said, Mr. Hooks, we'd like to talk to you about the Lord. And my dad, who was rejected by his biological father, who probably no doubt felt unloved often by his adopted father, bowed his head, and he met the only father he ever needed. And those two had a son, and they moved to East Tennessee. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. And they took him to church. 
and he was a hard case. But God saved him, gave him a wife, gave him a church, a place to serve, something to belong to. Five children. I'm just amazed by the grace of God. I'm not any example to hold up to you today. I'm just amazed by the grace of God. I'm amazed that God established my house. My wife is a very similar story. Many of you have heard it. God put us together. We determined in our heart when we were when we were getting married, we determined in our heart whatever the Lord had for us, that's what we wanted to do and we did not know what it was. And this is what God has for us and I'm grateful for how God has blessed me and established my home, my house. Not for my sake, but for his. And then he moved me to Hickory, North Carolina. And do you know what happened? My house just got a lot bigger. And I'm a part of this house with you. We're all part of the family of God. What a glorious thing. You see, I think it's okay for David to get a little carried away. I think it's okay for him to dance before the Lord as they take the, the, the uh, ark into the tent. I think it's okay for that to happen. Why? Because he's amazed by the grace of God. And he describes as he sees it the greatness of God and more than anything, what does he desire? He desires the glory of God. And when we see him, so will we. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.